Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Corumbus and Jim Garrity. Hey, thanks so much for being with us on this Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. He's Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Also with us, and we're thrilled, the good folks at ZipRecruiter. They're our sponsor today. Uh, right now, you can see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. You can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash martini. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a few moments. Today, we still have no good martinis, so sorry about that. Let's start with our first one. I would say this one's mostly bad. Fox News, uh, among many others, talking about this. Just two days after we officially got the word that the U.S. was pulling back in northern Syria, the Turks are on their way in, uh, to no surprise. Uh, the Turkish military operation in northern Syria has begun. Turkish warplanes are already bombing civilian areas in the region. Uh, President Erdogan of Turkey, who we've talked about earlier in the week as being increasingly Islamist, uh, is trying to create what he calls an anti-terrorism corridor by his southern border, which really means into northern Syria, because he considers the Kurds terrorists who are trying to collude with uh, Kurds in his own country to create a breakaway nation or to uh, just strike at Turkish interests. Uh, spokesperson for the Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces says there's a huge panic among people of the region because of these airstrikes. They're begging for a no-fly zone implemented by the U.S., but, of course, we're not going to do that. So, uh, Jim, the Turks wasted no time here. Yeah, um, this is we're, – we're not quite to the nightmare scenario. Uh, as I was just saying to some of my colleagues, the really worst case scenario is that because of this burgeoning, uh, you know, rapidly uh, increasing as we record this podcast, uh, uh, military clash between the Turks and the Kurds is going on. The Kurds are holding on to about 12,000 captured people from the Islamic State or ISIS. Uh, you'd like to think that everybody would keep a high priority on keeping those guys, but there's no indication, there's no guarantee that that will happen. And we are no longer going to have forces uh, in the region or on the ground that can take over at any point. We have basically said to the world, all right, world, you know, hope, hope for the best. Furthermore, more reports coming out that this was vehement. You know, as I mentioned, this was blindsided by the, the Pentagon. They did not see this decision coming. And that this has uh, this was apparently opposed by every member of Trump's cabinet. Uh, all of them said this was a bad idea. It turned out that he's decided to go forward with this after a phone conversation with Erdogan and um Greg, between this and the Ukraine call, I think President Trump should just stop talking on the phone to foreign leaders. <laughs> Might not be a bad policy change. You've got folks out there like Lindsey Graham saying, look, if this goes as bad as we think it is, uh, you're going to have to answer to Congress. Uh, you might uh, end up getting kicked out of NATO or, or suspended or not getting aid through NATO. Do you really think the U.S. is going to make good on that if it gets as ugly as we fear it might? Yeah. Uh, you know, there, my colleague Charlie Cook keeps pointing out, you know, Congress has a role in foreign policy and Congress has the authority to do that. I'm not sure if they could necessarily um, pass legislation. I guess you'd kind of need a treaty type organ set up with, uh, with the Kurds. And I don't know if the votes are there in the House or Senate, but, you know, the U.S. can, uh, uh, you know, issue statements, not just denouncing uh, Turks for what they're doing, that we can stop military cooperation with the Turks. We can stop arms sales to them. A lot of people are saying this might drive the Turks into an alliance with Russia and China uh, and other authoritarian regimes. And that's kind of the direction they've been going in for a long while. Listeners may know I spent some time back in Turkey back in 05 to 07. The primary driver of, US for, of, of Turkish foreign policy has been the relationship with the Kurds. There's a whole uh, bunch of Kurds who live in the southeastern corner of 
Turkey. They've been uh, arguing for their independence for quite some time, supporting a terrorist group called the PKK. Um, the attitude of the Turks is understandably that if there's an independent Kurdistan that forms in the northern part of Iraq or the northern part of Syria, then at some point the Kurds in Turkey are going to say, hey, well, if they get one, why can't we get one? And they'll have a civil war on their hands. Look, I'm not saying you know that's, that's a reasonable concern on Turkey's part. Um, having said that, this, the fact remains that the Kurds have been the ones who have stuck with us the most when we've needed to fight with ISIS. It's kind of amazing that they did that considering how the U.S. was not there when Saddam gassed them back in the late 80s. We really didn't do anything when Saddam was beating the hell out of them in northern Iraq in uh, the, after the 19, Persian Gulf War in 1991. Um, there's a long history of the United States not holding up its part of the bargain and leaving the Kurds to, to pay the price. This is, you know, I don't know how many more chances, how many more bites of the apple the United States gets. Um, and every other regime and every other faction in the Middle East sees this exact same thing that, you know, when push comes to shove, the United States is going to leave you. Could you argue that the U.S. needed to get its presence out of Syria and that perhaps over a gradual drawdown, this could make sense? Yeah, I think you could probably make that argument. But we're not doing that. We're out of the blue doing it because of a conversation that Trump had with Erdogan and his general sense that if we just get out of the Middle East, things will get better. And I don't think that's likely to happen. And we're witnessing that right now. Literally 48 hours since this whole uh, fiasco started. Jim, let's talk about the only good news we have today, and that's that if you need to fill a vacancy in your company, regardless of whatever size your company is, ZipRecruiter is where you want to be. Big corporation, medium-sized business, startup, it doesn't matter. ZipRecruiter has the tools that you need because hiring, regardless of what the position is, can be a slow process. And I could tell you about it, but I don't have hiring power at Radio America. I'm not sure you do at National Review, but you know who does? A guy at his business, Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz. We talked about him a couple days ago. And he needed to hire a director of coffee, which is a pretty cool job because he's got this organic coffee company. But he was having trouble finding qualified applicants through the normal systems, websites, traditional resume gathering. He just wasn't finding what he needed. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. And ZipRecruiter was a smart choice for Dylan because ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. ZipRecruiter's technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So now you can see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash martini. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash M-A-R-T-I-N-I. ZipRecruiter.com slash martini. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Jim, what would you like to be director of? I'm thinking maybe hot buttered popcorn uh, pasta, any sort of Greek delicacy, I, I'd, I'd be right up there for. I don't know about you. Director of research into how to make carbs not fattening. That is the innovation the world needs. <laughs> Absolutely. So ZipRecruiter could fill those jobs too, if they only existed. All right. So let's talk about our second bad slash crazy martini, Jim. And if this feels like deja vu. It's because it is. This story broke almost two years ago. Uh, this has an NBC element to it. It's got a Harvey Weinstein element to it, and it's certainly got a Matt Lauer 
dimension to it. And so NBC announcing today on the Today Show, uh, as well as many other media outlets today, because Ronan Farrow's got a new book out about how his expose on Harvey Weinstein finally went public in October of 2017, so two years ago now, and also how NBC tried to spike it. One of the big revelations that everyone's talking about is that Matt Lauer, the former Today Show host, was not just this absolute sexual hound on the premises of NBC, but he's actually uh, someone who raped someone, allegedly. This apparently happened at the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics uh, in Russia, and uh, the allegation is that uh, Lauer invited a colleague back to his hotel room and uh, proceeded to assault the woman despite her uh, protestations. And so, uh, Jim, one of the things that we're continuing to see here is how NBC reacted to a lot of these various things. This is Jerika Duncan over at CBS News, first of all, about how NBC executives told their staff back in 2017 when Matt Lauer got the axe about what happened and what didn't happen. According to Nevels, after Lauer was fired, she learned that NBC News president Noah Oppenheim and chairman Andrew Lack were, quote, emphasizing that the incident had not been criminal or an assault. And so also in this book, and Variety has the uh, excerpts here, but uh, the book paints, it says, NBC News executives as obstructive in Farrell's Weinstein investigation. We knew they spiked the story, kept claiming it wasn't ready for air and that sort of thing. But as Farrow got closer and closer to finishing this report, uh, this uh, Oppenheim character kept asking him, is this really worth it? And suggested no one knows who Weinstein is and was eventually told to stop reporting the story because it was under review. And he kept being told it's uh, this guy's decision. It's this guy's decision. And he knew he was getting the runaround. And NBC had no intention of ever running the story. And that's why. It ended up in, in The New Yorker. We'll get to the Clinton angle in just a moment here, Jim. But uh, what do you make of the latest revelations about how horribly NBC News has responded to all this? Well, when you heard, the, uh, I saw the headlines this morning of, you know, rape allegation against Matt Lauer. Uh, I, I was like, oh, OK, I remember that story. There was an example. She went into his office. This was the office that had the secret button to lock the door from behind the desk. Uh, and she was taken away in a hospital, taken away in an ambulance, and everyone, no, apparently, nobody never said, "Hey, how did that happen?" Um, no one involved in this process, nobody at NBC Human Relations, uh, Human Resources Department, the NYPD, nobody really seemed to think it was all that unusual that suddenly she needed medical attention. Um, and, and so, I was, okay, but this is from the Sochi Olympics, which now suggests we've got two of them going on. I suppose we should give a little bit of credit to. The Today program uh, reporting about this this morning from the desk that Matt Lauer used to sit at up until about a year ago. And that I remember, you know, he had hosted the uh, the Thanksgiving Day Parade a few days before the revelations came out. Um, now, the actual and, and the other thing which was very strange is this revelation came out and Lauer resigned and NBC announced they were, you know, he was gone. And then Lauer effectively disappeared. Um, and I suppose some people would say, good, you know. But we didn't really hear about any criminal investigation about these allegations. I don't know if the accusers wanted to come forward, but there kind of be the sense that like, okay, the end of your career in exile is sufficient punishment for what is a violent crime. And I'm not sure everyone would agree that the punishment fits the crime there. Now, apparently Lauer is issuing a statement saying these allegations are not true and that remaining silent for the past year was a mistake. Well, if, if he really is innocent, I, I'm, I, these allegations sound pretty plausible to me, but if he's, if he's innocent, yes, then staying quiet for a year when people are accusing you of rape, yes, then it is a mistake. You should defend yourself. I think you have an obligation to defend yourself. 
But the whole sordid portrait of this uh, at NBC News looked, again, it's very hard to believe that no one had any idea that this sort of thing was going on. And then when Ronan Farrow runs into all of this static and all of this pushback and all this reluctance to report on the Weinstein scandals, well, I don't know about you, Greg, but it certainly feels like those tumblers are kind of falling into place and you're starting to, you know, the key is starting to fit the lock uh, in that sense of, oh, so that's what everybody's motivation was in this case. Um, but I guess there's there's more to be seen, Greg. There is, in fact. In fact, this is an excerpt directly from the book about uh, Weinstein, quote, also attempted to leverage his long-term relationship with Hillary Clinton to pressure Farrow to stop doing the story. In summer 2017, while Farrow was trying to lock down an interview with Clinton for his foreign policy book while also still working on the Weinstein story, he received a call from Clinton's publicist Nick Merrill, who told him that the big story Farrow was working on was, quote, a concern for us. Then in September 2017, according to an email cited in the book, Weinstein wrote to Deborah Turnus, the ex-president of NBC News, who now runs NBC News International, to propose a docu-series on Clinton. Quote, your Hillary doc series sounds absolutely stunning, Turnus responded. So, Jim, uh, when you got friends in high places, uh, some people know how to work the system here. Yeah, um, it really, you know, when, when the revelations about Weinstein came out, everybody on the right was posting those public pictures of the two of them together, um, all the money he had donated, all the seeming closeness between Weinstein and the Clintons. And uh, the Clintons were like, oh, we had no idea any of this stuff was going on. My goodness. And look, you know, again, Greg, you think about the idea of covering for a, a serial sexual predator or somehow making excuses or not responding appropriately to a powerful man uh, abusing his position and stature against younger women. I mean, Hillary Clinton would never do that, right? Never. She had no previous experience. No, nothing, nothing, no relevant experience in this area. And the explanation from the Clintons, they had no idea any of this stuff was ever going on. Well, with each bit of this that comes out, it becomes a little bit tougher to believe that denial. Um, did she think that all of a sudden this this pressure on Farrow about the, the documentary, just coincidental? They didn't hear any of these rumors? They didn't hear anything that Ronan Farrow was working on a a big expose about uh, uh, Weinstein being a serial sexual harasser and sexual predator. No, boy, it's funny how things worked out that way. Jim, we talked about uh, the past, this is our third day now talking about the NBA in China. Uh, First of all, the uh, ridiculous blowback to one tweet from the Houston Rockets general manager. Uh, Then we talked about how Steve Kerr suddenly lost his tongue yesterday. Uh, We did give Adam Silver a molecule of credit to borrow a phrase from you for actually saying that uh, Daryl Morey had the right to say that, although Adam Silver is currently on his way to Shanghai to basically grovel at the feet of Chinese leaders to not end too many business arrangements between China and the NBA. But uh, after we finished recording yesterday, we found out that the Chinese government did not like Adam Silver trying to have a foot in both camps uh, and basically saying, no, this guy didn't have a right to free expression, saying, quote, we believe that any speech that challenges national sovereignty and social stability is not within the scope of freedom of speech. And they ended up banning uh, broadcasts of preseason games and in China. And you figure, oh, well, well, Chinese can do that. Regular season starts soon enough. It'll all be uh, okay over here. But no, because last night there was a preseason game in Philadelphia between the 76ers and a Chinese team called the Guangzhou Long Lions. Uh, and so a Philadelphia 76ers fan and his wife took signs to the game and, but they were kicked out of the Wells Fargo Center, first for having the signs that they said free Hong Kong and free HK, and those were confiscated by security. And then they started yelling out uh, free Hong Kong, and they got kicked out of the game in the second quarter. So, Jim, 
this uh, whole uh, right to free expression seems to be real conditional. I was about to say, Greg, I don't know if I've watched a lot of Philadelphia 76ers games. And it's preseason. It's not like the, the stands are packed, right? It's not like if you hold up this sign, you're going to block the view of the person behind you or something like that. But, you know, Greg, I watch a decent amount of TV sports. I watch it certainly a lot of, you know, uh, football and, and a little more college basketball, perhaps. I see people with signs all the time. But you don't want people you know, blocking the view. Okay, fine. When they get removed for chanting about Hong Kong, then it's this is clearly not a no sign issue. Clearly, this is you know a matter of the NBA man, the management of the NBA, the management of the Philadelphia 76ers have a problem with expressions of support for the protesters in Hong Kong. Greg, the only way this could, the irony could be any more chokingly thick is if they were playing Elton John's Philadelphia Freedom <laughs> as they were being dragged out through the stands. Um, by the way, I want to point out that an uh, old friend of, well, at least on my end, I don't know if you had a chance to run across him, uh, Greg, Cesar Conda, um, is going. There's an NBA game, preseason game here in the nation's capital uh, tonight, uh, and Cesar Conda's son and will be going with a, in his, with a Stand with Hong Kong t-shirts. He is daring uh, Washington Wizards owner Ted Leonosis and the NBA to kick them out of the game. Uh, for expressing their right to free speech. And he says, trust me, it will be a public relations disaster for them if they did. And he's encouraging everybody else to do the same. Uh, I think this would be a wonderful thing to get going, which is one of the reasons that I'm mentioning it. I will not be going to the uh, preseason game. Because to do so, you've got to put, you know, there's like two um, really serious moral consequences to that, is that you're at the time you're really, really upset with the NBA, even purchasing a ticket. I think the preseason game tickets are only like six bucks, so fairly cheap. Um, you're still putting money in the hands of an institution that you think is doing something wrong. Um, but perhaps even worse, Greg, uh, if you do this, you have to watch the Washington Wizards. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, human suffering. That's almost, um, almost as bad as losing your right to free speech, right? Right. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> so look, the, at, at this point, you could kind of, you know, you could kind of understand the commissioner hemming and hawing and trying to have it both ways or something like that. Look, we expected if you held up a, you know, support Hong Kong, you know, banner at the uh, games, the preseason games, the NBA is playing over in China. Well, okay, yeah, Chinese you know, police are going to do that. The stadium authority is going to do that. This is who they are. They stomp out free speech. They stomp out criticism of the regime. This is who they are. Uh, yesterday's morning jolt was all about we, we have not exported our values to them. They have managed to get us to import their values to here. And this is the most vivid example I can possibly think of. The NBA, and in this case, the Philadelphia 76ers. But again, there's nobody in the league who's saying, no, no, we stand with Hong Kong. We're completely in support of those folks. The Chinese government is wrong. There's not a single player, not a single coach, general manager, assistant coach, referee, team official, owner. None of these guys are coming up and saying, you know what, this is wrong. We're not going to stand for this. Um, At this point, they are now a de facto extension of the Chinese government. And they are enforcing the policies that the Chinese government wants to see in American arenas, on American citizens, on American soil. And I'm really fired up about this, Greg, because one of the things I want to point out, you remember a couple years, I mentioned this yesterday, remember the uh, film, The Interview, which depicted was a silly comedy about uh, James Franco and and Jonah, what's his name, Uh, Jonah Hill, I guess, going over to interview Kim Jong-un, and the North Korean government hated it. Well, the, the proper response of a U.S. company or even an international company is to say, well, tough rocks, pal. You know, right. we don't we don't care if we if our work offends you, our, our, our movies offend everyone. Have you seen these guys? Most of their movies are very offensive. Tough, you know, tough movies. Um, 
But instead, they hacked Sony. They released a whole bunch of information that was very embarrassing to the studio. And for a little while, Sony was like, okay, we're not releasing the film. And there was kind of this bizarre moment in which an authoritarian regime, through cyber warfare, had basically strong-armed an American company into not releasing a film it didn't want to see. For at least a week or two there, it was like, wow, it's really terrible. You know... (laughs) Oh, it's, it's terrible that foreign countries, governments get a veto over what we say now. Now, all of a sudden, not only does your movie have to be associated, you know, get a rating from the uh, Motion Picture Association of America, it also got us to pass the Kim Jong-un test. Um, now, what is worthwhile is eventually Sony did release the film. It was really not that good. Um, <laughs> and the U.S. government did get its act together. There was a full investigation. They did flesh criminal charges against the North Koreans, public denunciation, new sanctions. And I think most importantly, now, Greg, we have no idea how this happened. But about a month later, after Obama said we'd be taking appropriate responses, the Internet went down all across North Korea for about 10 hours. Might have been us, might have been the NSA, might have been Pentagon Center Cyber Warfare, or maybe somebody just tripped over a wire somewhere. We don't know. But, you know, all of a sudden there was this dire consequence to North Korea after they had messed with us. You'd like to see that sort of thing. You'd like to see a broad bipartisan consensus of, wait a second, you don't get to tell Americans what they can say and what they can't say. We don't care how big the deals are. We don't care how many sneakers you're going to buy. In the end, Americans have rights of free speech, and no foreign government gets to, you know, gets to change that. Um, but it's different now. Uh, this is, North Korea was comparably weak. It did not have a lot of friends in the United States. China is very strong. It has a lot of, if not friends, in the United States. It has a lot of people who see a, a small fortune at stake on staying on good terms with China. So um, I'm hoping to see more folks in the NBA do a, 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 the right thing. But, Greg, so far, roll, we're rolling snake eyes here. No, no, exactly right. Uh, we talked about Kerr yesterday and Greg Popovich, the coach of the Spurs, who's been very successful as a coach, is usually pretty outspoken on political issues. Not off from him. Uh, if LeBron James so much as um, scratches his head or, or tweets anything, it, it usually leads on SportsCenter. He has said nothing, and I expect him to say absolutely nothing because he's at the tail end of his career, most likely, and he's already moved to Hollywood, and I think he knows what he wants his next career to be. So uh, I don't expect a whole lot from him. Just to uh, finish your thought, because you wondered if the signs were in any way obstructing the view, there is a picture that I'm seeing here of these people holding the signs. The two rows behind them are empty. Three rows behind, most of that row is empty, but the two people closest to them aren't even watching what's going on on the court. They're watching something on their phone. So uh, I mean, nobody seems all, to Greg, have an obstructed view. First of all, for the folks on their phone, can you blame them? <laughs> Unless, of course, maybe, you know, for all we know, Greg, they could be Chinese state security reporting. <laughs> we have a sign here. Um, you mentioned LeBron. I make an observation. There are a lot of folks in the right who, for some reason, really don't like LeBron James. He's made some anti-Trump comments. I don't think he's such a bad guy. I really like that uh, charter school he helped set up in Akron. Sure. But you got to figure if there's anybody in the world who had the star power, who had the stature, who had the fame, who had the fortune, who would have the ability to say to the Chinese government, no, I don't need your deal badly enough. I'm already wealthy. I can tell you go pound sand Yes, we should stand with the people of Hong Kong. You don't get to tell Americans what they can and can't say. The Houston Rockets should stick with that general manager. And if by some reason they cower in fear of Beijing and choose to fire him, I'll hire him to do something with me to demonstrate that, no, saying we support Hong Kong is not a fireable offense and we're not supposed to be bullied around. And I've heard nothing like that from LeBron James or, for that matter, 
any of the NBA stars. Could be there's some really fascinating conversations going on in locker rooms these days. This was a league that had room for Dennis Rodman. This was a league that had room for Allen Iverson strangling his coach. <laughs> but nobody has any room to say, you know what, we should be supporting Hong Kong at this hour. Greg, is it possible we have found the one situation in which highly paid professional athletes are expressing a controversial political opinion and the president doesn't feel the need to tweet about it? <laughs> oh, now he's, now he's fine. But the flip side of this, of course, is that, you know, all these times who are really upset about the NFL players kneeling and all the various statements from NBA players and stuff like that. It, I guess you could say the NBA is finally demonstrating an absolutely unified sense of patriotism. It's just um, patriotism towards China. <sighs> That's pretty much the uh, sound of the week for us so far. It's just a. It's just one long. Friday's episode is just going to be. <sighs> it's not like an. You know, we're being checked for asthma at the doctor's office. <laughs> well, Trump could be making a lot of hay out of this, but he won't criticize China either. So, what are you going to do? Jim, talk to you tomorrow. Maybe it'll be better. Maybe. <laughs> See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. Between two scorpions, I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. And if you need to fill that job, ZipRecruiter is the way to go. ZipRecruiter.com slash martini. And join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.